You're listening to another sermon by Pastor Michael Zapata from the Potter's House Christian Church. Praise God. The book of Acts, uh, chapter 17. We're going to be reading from uh, verse 1 through to uh, 4. So the book of Acts, chapter 17, 1 through to 4. Praise God. I want to tell you the story about little Philip. Uh, little Philip was walking home in the rain with his mother after uh, uh, following the Sunday worship. It finally stopped raining and as they rounded the corner where there was a surprise, a massive delightful appearance happened. Uh, a double rainbow appeared in the sky. The mother exclaimed, doesn't it look like an artist painted that rainbow? I bet God painted it just for you, she said. Little Philip said, yes, God did it, and he did it all with just his left hand. Confused, his mother asked, what makes you say that God did it with only his left hand? Well, Philip said, we learned in Sunday school that Jesus sits on the right hand Of the Father. You know, there is some confusion when it comes to uh, uh, the God that we serve. Many times we can find ourselves trying to uh, explain, but when we come to the true uh, grips of the God that we serve, if He was explainable, He wouldn't be worth serving. But thank God that there is a dimension when you and I step into as born-again Christians uh, that irregardless to knowing the full depth, uh, the full width, uh, the full height of our God and who He is and what He's capable of doing, uh, that we can simply by just declaring the name of Jesus Christ can see... uh, Uh, can see chains be broken, can see walls be destroyed, uh, and the power of uh, God uh, manifest in our lives. So I want to preach to you a sermon tonight, a very simple sermon entitled Jesus the Christ, out of the book of Acts chapter 17, 1 through to 4. The Bible says uh, these words, you can read along with me in your Bible. The Bible says, Now, when they had passed through Amphilippus, and uh, Apollonai, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. Then Paul, as his custom was, went into them, and for three Sabbaths reasoned with them from the Scriptures, explaining and demonstrating that the Christ had to suffer and rise again from the dead, and saying, This Jesus, whom I preach to you, is the Christ. And some of them... uh, were persuaded, and a great multitude of the devout Greeks, uh, and not a few of the leading women, joined uh, Paul and Silas. Jesus the Christ. I want to look firstly and focus on uh, the mystery of uh, His majesty. Now, if we're going to be given the choice uh, when we are uh, explaining or trying to reveal the Lord Jesus Christ to others... uh, The truth is, as many of us would opt to inviting the sinner, the Gentile, the one who does not know about Jesus into our house or into our turf. A home game is better than an away game. 
So when we are trying to evangelize, the truth is, uh, on our turf or in our terms is always a greater advantage. But here we have the Apostle Paul and Silas uh, that is traveling through and have made, them, uh, have made their way to Thessalonica, which is a uh, providence there in Greece. Uh, and they are beginning to preach the gospel in the synagogues. Now what you'll recognize is that they are going to be preaching in foreign land or on opposition's terms and their home ground with their home ground advantage. It's very interesting at how you'll come to the understanding many times when it comes to preaching the gospel that it is us being challenged to go into foreign territory. It is us being challenged to step out of the boat. It is us being challenged to go where we have never gone before. And as a believer of Jesus Christ, this is something that is put upon the believer to step out in faith and go where God is telling us to go. It was Ananias that was told by Jesus Christ, Arise and go to the street called Straight and inquire of the house of Judas, for one is called Saul of Tarsus, and behold, he is praying. The Bible says that it is Ananias that goes there and begins to lay hands on Saul of Tarsus and he receives his sight again and he is then given a great commission to go and preach the gospel. Gospel. But what you'll realize if you're a Bible student that Ananias wrestled with that. When Jesus said, I want you to go and preach and share the gospel to Saul, Ananias was like, you know what? I'm quite happy here. I'm sure there'll be somebody else. But the truth is, when you begin to understand uh, the mystery of His majesty, it is going into that foreign turf uh, to proclaim the acceptable hour. And so being an instrument of God uh, requires us to be willing to be sent to places uh, that we might not have the upper hand. In the book of Acts, chapter 17, verse 2, Then Paul, as his custom was, went into them and for three Sabbaths reasoned with them from the scriptures. Now what's going to take place when we are evangelizing, when we are sharing the gospel is always going to be a confrontation of the customs or even the beliefs that many people have embraced. Now this became a stumbling block. You'll see in Jesus' ministry, when people were, were watching who Jesus was and what he was proclaiming, Jesus unashamedly went to where the tax collectors were and the sinners were, and it was met with great, great discontentment. They weren't happy about what Jesus was doing. In Matthew 9, verse 10 through to 11, now it happened as Jesus sat at the table in the house, that behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and sat down with him and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw it, they said to his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with the tax collectors and sinners? Now, let me just bring a balance. 
What you need to understand is that even though Jesus was willing to go into their turf, it wasn't in a place of compromise. So I'm not talking about going to a club or a pub and trying to share the gospel, but rather being willing to step out of your own comfort zone to be able to bring the gospel of Jesus Christ. When it comes to establishing the presence, uh, it is very easy to do it when surrounded by other Christians. Uh, but then when we take the gospel into a foreign area, we realize uh, that we need to fully rely not just on our own abilities, uh, but upon who Christ is and what he can do. And what we fail to understand many times is that our ability to reason with those who hold a different custom or belief uh, comes from our knowledge of the Scriptures. The Bible we have today is a blessing. Can anybody say amen? Because they have written it down. They have placed it very easily in chapters and books with verses and numbers that you can go back to. But what you'll realize is that Paul didn't have this advantage. In fact, what Paul was drawing from when the Bible says he began to share with them the Scriptures was he was literally going back to the Torah, back to what they knew and what were the traditions of their customs and began to reveal to them the very Jesus Christ who came to them in the flesh and died on the cross and rose again from the dead from their very Scriptures they saw Jesus come to life. St. Augustine said these words, The New Testament lies hidden in the Old Testament, and the Old Testament is unveiled in the New. In other words, what he's saying is that it's not part one and part two, or there's one God in the Old Testament and a new God in the New, but rather he says that the New Testament lies hidden, the Old Testament, and the Old Testament is unveiled when you begin to divulge and, di and involve yourself in the New Testament uh, that we have. Now it's Jesus began to reveal to his disciples on the road to Damascus, Luke chapter 14, verse 20, uh, 24, verse 27, and beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expanded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. These two men were disciples, were heading away from the will of God, and Jesus comes in his resurrected state, and from the beginning, from the very book that began, that they studied for themselves, Moses and all the prophets. Now Jesus is saying, I was in those scriptures. And therefore you have those two disciples that turned around and went and did the will of God. And what we find is that the further that we go back, the closer we come to the origins of where we came from. Many times you can see that going and witnessing and sharing the gospel to others can be met with an, an argument of, well, you're preaching to me a white man's religion. How many ever heard that? Or you're preaching to me uh, uh, this uh, Western uh, belief, uh, and they will say this uh, many times with uh, uh, naivety, with a lack of understanding, because the truth is, the further that you dial things back, the more you'll understand uh, that we are closely knit. It was Noah, the Bible says, that 
rescued his own family, his three sons and their families, uh, Shem, Ham and Japheth. Shem means fame or name. He's, fa- he's the father of the Semitic people, which included the Jews. Scholars call the language they developed Shemitic or Semitic. And, and they lived, uh, Shem lived for 600 years. What you have to understand is these people uh, 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 began to uh, uh, move in one direction but still came from the same father. You have the other brother, Japheth, which means may have space or may God enlarge. And uh, blessed by Noah among them, Shem, he fathered seven sons. And these seven sons, their descendants spread of the coastlines of the Mediterranean and lived in harmony with Shem's people. So now you have, even though there is a diversion there, there is a separation, there was still a unity. And then you had ham, which means hot or sunburnt. Now you're going to have to just deal with this. Uh, This ham was the one who Noah cursed. His sons were Cush, uh, Egypt, Put, and Canaan. One of Ham's grandson was Nimrod, a mighty hunter, king of, uh, over Babel. Uh, Nimrod also built the ancient cities of Nineveh, which later played a part in the story of Jonah. So you have these three men uh, that began to separate, but in, ti- uh, but in entirety uh, were still uh, with one mind. And listen to me, this has a, a profound ramification because even though the devil says, well, uh, you may be from this country or you may be from this color or this culture, the truth is the further you dial back, uh, the closer you'll realize we actually are. So Paul and Silas going to Thessalonica, preaching the gospel and bringing the revelation of Jesus the Christ, caused them to come to an understanding that the God that Paul and Silas worship is the God that they ought to be worshiping as well. So let's look secondly. We just looked at the mystery of His majesty. Let's look secondly at the confrontation of customs. Because notice that Paul explains and he demonstrates. In verse 3 of our text, explaining and demonstrating that the Christ had to suffer and rise again from the dead, saying, this Jesus whom I preach to you is the Christ. Now most people think uh, think Christ is Jesus' last name. So they say Jesus Christ and Christ being his last name like Michael Zapata, Zapata being my last name. But the truth is, is that Paul is highlighting something here. The word Christ comes from the Greek word Christos, meaning anointed. And so if you're going to grasp what Paul is trying to uh, uh, communicate to these people, uh, is that Jesus was the anointed. Now, this is something that the Jews were accustomed to believe. They understood anointing. In fact, uh, throughout the scriptures, this was prominent uh, in their readings. The definition of one to be anointed literally means uh, to have sacred oil poured on one's head because God has chosen the person for a specific task. Priests and kings 
in the Old Testament were anointed and occasionally prophets, kings, were anointed during their coronation rather than receiving a crown. So I want you to try to grasp this. Jesus, the Christ, or the anointed, Paul is saying is the Messiah, is the deliverer for us, and he's using the imagery of one who has been anointed as a king on this earth. Hold that thought, because we're going deeper. Now, even though prophets and priests were anointed. The phrase anointed one or the Lord's anointed was most often used referring to kings. You'll see this in the Old Testament when Saul and David were at heads. They were fighting, they were wrestling with one another and then finally God, it seems as though God delivers Saul into the hands of David. David's men says, Take him and kill him. And David's response is, The Lord forbid that I should do this to my master, the Lord's anointed. To stretch out my hand against him, seeing he is the anointed of the Lord. So that phrase comes with a huge ramification. In other words, he's saying it's not just anyone who's appointed him as king. It is God's anointed. He has been anointed by God to be the representation for God on this earth. Therefore, I dare not touch him. The action of anointing meant that God had ordained a person to act as a, represent, a representative for him. Psalms 133 verse 2. It is like the precious oil upon the head running down on the beard, the beard of Aaron running down the edge of the garments. This was a, a scripture that was studied, that was understood by the Jews, and they, they absolutely could grasp exactly what was happening. They understood that if God was going to speak to them, he was going to use the anointed head of Aaron to be able to bring the acceptable word. And so because of this, now this being ingrained in their Jewish faith, Paul steps in and he says, guess what? The king has come to this earth. It's not just Jesus of Nazareth. He says, Jesus the Christ. The anointed, the Lord's anointing, the representative for the Father is here on this earth. He came to establish His kingdom so that you and I make, might make heaven as our home. Now this revelation, Jesus the Christ, anointed King who came to establish His kingdom on this earth, would have absolutely blown their little minds to smithereens. Because this is everything that they'd been praying for. This is everything that they'd been studying the scriptures for. And now here is Paul and Silas, who Paul being Saul would come against the church and finally receive a conversion and be an advocate for Jesus the Christ. He stands there proclaiming Jesus the Christ and immediately people respond. 
Think about Peter's first sermon, Acts chapter 2, verse 31 through to 33. For seeing this spoke concerning the resurrection of the Christ, that his soul was not left in Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God has raised up, of which we are all witnesses, therefore being exalted to the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he poured out this which now you see and hear. In other words, the revealing of Jesus the Christ was brought to the forefront of their attention and it challenged everything that they thought they knew was right. So let me try to explain it to you very simply. The gospel is a confrontation of every custom. Irregardless of how you've been brought up, The gospel confronts every custom, every belief, every tradition, everything that mom and dad said, there is a Santa Claus and he comes down the chimney and he leaves you, uh, uh, you know, presents or uh, there is a, a uh, you know, bunny rabbit uh, that leaves you chocolate egg. L listen, it's going to confront everything that mom and dad once taught you uh, and it even goes down to uh, how you uh, uh, process uh, uh, finances, relationships, all those sorts of things. Uh, the gospel confronts all that. And the result is transformation. Ephesians 2, 1, the Bible says, and you he made alive who were dead in trespasses. And so here is this reality. Finally, the gospel is brought to Thessalonica. And Jews, Greeks, all those in the presence of Paul and Silas who are proclaiming Jesus Christ begin to see him move supernaturally. And everything they've been taught, now they're discarding and joining themselves to Paul and Silas. So let's look thirdly and in closing at becoming joined to Jesus. Because the scripture is centered in a specific location. Can you turn the fallback, are the fallbacks off? Yeah, okay. The city, Thessalonica, is a city to have a very rich history of the gospel preached and established in. The city was actually so Christianized that it was coined the name the Orthodox City. They were so immersed in the gospel. They were so prom prominent when it came to what they believed that it became a city where predominantly ruled by Jews in the 19th century, they were calling it the second Jerusalem. Now, obviously, we see that through the time, things have changed. But one thing that stands very true is that the people and the generations that hold fast to Jesus, our Lord and Savior, the anointed one from God, are the ones that experience tremendous breakthrough. 
Now, with this new found, day, uh, found revelation, the Bible says that these people joined themselves to Paul and Silas. Think about what's happening here. Verse 4, And some of them were persuaded, and a great multitude of devout Greeks, and not a few of the leading women, joined Paul and Silas. Now, these weren't just naive people. These weren't just people that were lost or even confused or you know homeless or anything like that these were prominent people of the city and it caused a major outcry in fact if you read just a few more scriptures down the bible says that people began to stir about this new king that was being proclaimed in thessalonica that they had to rush Paul and Silas away and escape because they would have been beaten and thrown in prison again. <laughs> We're talking about a revival breaking out. We're talking about people of position and power now finding a revelation of what Jesus Christ, the Christ, and what he came to do on this earth for us totally transforming them and now being infiltrating the city. Can you imagine what a city that believed in so many false gods would begin to experience when now a politician rises up and says, instead of being able to have multiple partners, you're going to be married to one woman and you have to stay faithful to that. Instead of being able to commit abortion, that's murder. Instead of now giving yourself away and virginity and losing your virginity to whoever you want, now we're going to uh, you know, uh, impose upon the young lives and say, you know what, you're not going to live like that. You're going to live clean and be pure and uphold these standards. All of a sudden, you could just imagine the ramifications of how the city would react. Now, my prayer is that what happened in Thessalonica would happen in this city. That as you and I preach the gospel of Jesus the Christ, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the answer for not just the white man or the black man or the cup, but for all races, all languages, all custom and traditions. He will reign and you better be on his side. The more that you and I preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, the more that this world will be transformed from the inside out. Now, what you need to understand is when you became a Christian, you joined yourself to Jesus Christ. Not just a church, not just some friends, not just a pastor, but you joined yourself, number one, to a mission. In the book of Acts, chapter 19, there's a man by the name of Aristarchus. Aristarchus is mentioned as a follower of Paul and Silas. What's unique about Aristarchus is that he was converted and he was a man from Thessalonica. And so I want you to try to grasp this. 
Paul travels through Thessalonica, preaches the gospel and has to run for his life after about three, maybe a little bit longer than three weeks. But the impact that it left on Aristarchus uh, was transforming. In fact, if you're a Bible student, you'll understand that Aristarchus was the first pastor of the church in Thessalonica. In, in other words, he was the man that they actually nationalized that city with. Paul stirred up the pot and said, Jesus the Christ, the King of kings and Lord of lords, has come to this earth and you must repent. And then he left and said, okay, Aristarchus, you take over. For some time he followed Paul with his mission, but then eventually went back to his city and proclaimed the acceptable hour. Think about the mission that you're a part of. It's more than just meeting on a Sunday. It's more than just learning to read your Bible or praying. You are a part of a worldwide mission that is transforming the world, period. Don't get too excited. I know, I know. It's not exciting enough. People are being saved from the depths of hell. And you and I are a part of that. People who were once lost are now, now being found. You are joined in a mission. It's like Mission Impossible, right? If you choose to accept. It's like, no, no, no. You ain't got no choice. You're in this. You're wearing the badge, I'm a Christian. And now it is being joined. You are joined with Jesus Christ. Join in this holy quest to see people transformed. The second thing is being joined in vision. What you need to understand about the gospel is that it is one vision. Like Jesus said, go into all the world and preach the gospel. Laying hands on the sick and seeing them recover. That is our mission. But the vision behind that is what keeps us actively pursuing that. In other words, I want to see evidence. I want to see God move supernaturally, not just through somebody else, but in my own personal life. And that's why he says, you can lay hands on the sick and see them recover. You can speak life into the circumstances that are dead. You can begin to begin to pray and lay a hold of God and claim the name of Jesus over the circumstances and see God move supernaturally. This is a part of the vision that you're a part of. Now the tragedy is much like the visions that are proclaimed but not believed. Evidence over time is revealed. The Bible says Demas was a disciple that once accompanied Paul in his adventures, but then eventually went to his old ways. 2 Timothy 4.10, For Demas has forsaken me, having loved his present world, and he departed back again. Where to? Thessalonica. 
He went back to his old city, but he wasn't proclaiming the name. In other words, he lost the vision. Now, it's possible for you to start with us in the mission that God has given us and then through the course of time lose vision. But I want to just declare to you something. That our Lord Jesus Christ will not ever, ever stop until every single person in this world has heard about him. And the good news is, is that he welcomes each and every one of us to involve ourselves in this great mission and vision. If you are willing, if you're able to participate, to make yourself available for this, what Paul and Silas began to do by going into little cities like Thessalonica, proclaiming Jesus the Christ, it transformed the gospel around the world. Now, as Christians, the time is coming for us to be more joined to Jesus than this world. Because the truth is, the more that you and I are joined to this word, the more that we join ourselves to who Jesus Christ is and what he has for our lives, the more that we disconnect ourselves from this world. And let me just say this, we are going to make more impact joined to Jesus Christ than to this world. For us to think, oh, well, I'm going to go out there and I'm going to be their friend and, you know, maybe get an earring and some spaces and a tattoo that says Jesus loves me and, and somehow relate to this people. Paul did not do that when he went into the synagogues. He said, let me tell you about the true King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And this is what made great impact. You and I, thank God, there is nothing that has been withheld from us as Christians. Everything that God wants you to know is being written down. And that is enough to be able to go into your workplace, speak to your friends and family members, and proclaim the acceptable, acceptable time and see God move supernaturally. Why? Because it's not about us. It's about Jesus the Christ. He is the King of kings, the Lord of lords. Proclaim Him. And watch God move in your circumstances. I want every head bowed and every eye closed. No one moving around just for a few moments. Hallelujah. Presence of God is in this place.